0: What are some ways you've heard government officials suggest to save water? I asked some folks around the Berkeley Water Center today.
1: Uh, shorter showers, that's probably the most common one.
0: Um, to put a one-gallon milk carton into your toilet tank, especially if it's an older one.
1: Take shorter showers.
0: To turn off the faucet when you're brushing your teeth.
1: Wash dishes. Better take shorter showers.
0: All good suggestions? I'm looking right now at a sign in the dead grass in front of our building that says, Reduced irrigation to landscape. Ground staff has reduced watering to 50% and will reduce it further if needed. There's a lot of brown grass all around that sign. We're also getting a lot of very public turning off of fountains and calls for shorter showers. It's a great photo op. And all these things sort of intuitively make sense, right? Because they're very direct uses of water. When you're in the shower, you can actually see the water running down the drain. But what if I told you that one of the best ways to save water in your everyday life is quite indirect, and rather than turning a faucet, it's about flipping a switch. Today on What Are You Talking About? The connection between water and energy, and why almost no one is talking about one of the biggest ways to save water. Stay with us. So, we're all graduate students here, and like you, I work in a big university center with a lot of other water researchers. Think more office space than goodwill hunting. Right, and every so often, someone in my office will flip off a fluorescent light and quip about saving water by saving energy. Now, this is not very funny, even by the engineering standards. It's human. really not. Yeah. But when the, what they're ta- what they're referencing is this idea that water and energy are connected by sort of this bridge of codependence but it sounds much more technical if you say the water energy nexus now the water energy nexus just means that we use a bunch of water to generate power and then it also takes a bunch of energy to use water. That's right. The effect is so strong that these two things, which seem totally different, are in fact closely interconnected. If you want to consume one, you have to consume the other. To understand why using water is married to energy, you have to think like a drop of water. Be water, my friend. Thank you, Bruce. So, the first thing you might notice when you're a drop of water is that you're actually really heavy. Just one gallon of water weighs more than eight pounds. The second thing you might notice if you're a drop of water is that you have this insatiable desire to move. And generally, you only flow in one direction, down. Now water
1: can flow, or it can crash.
0: You never knew Bruce Lee was a hydrologist, did you? I did not, but this downward flow is great if you're a drop of water up in a mountain like melting off of a snowy peak. It's easy for engineers to get you down the mountain. In fact, you can even throw some of your weight around on the way down and turn turbines in places like the Hoover Dam that generate electricity. And that's about how 7% of the country's electricity is actually made.
1: So there's our first connection right there, hydroelectric power. An enormous amount of electricity is actually produced by water in this country.
0: It's great if you're moving water down from mountains, which is what many big water pipelines in places like California do. They transport snow melt from the Sierras, generating 6,500 gigawatt hours of electricity a year.
1: And I take it that's a lot?
0: Yep, that's enough to power more than half a million homes. It sounds like some sort of number from like Back to the Future though, doesn't it? 6,500 gigawatt hours of electricity. (laughs) But keep in mind that a drop of water is crazy stubborn, like me when I drink too many IPAs.
1: Yeah, that's a bit of an ugly scene, but I have to ask, can water drops get drunk?
0: It's a little-known fact, they start to slur their speech and tell these outrageous lies. I swear you guys, one time I flowed uphill even though my Freudian number was below one. (laughs) Outrageous stuff, I tell you. But but seriously, the problem is that water has to go up hills. And it really doesn't like to do that. So it takes a lot of energy to move that really heavy water over them. So water is a fickle fiend. Its movement giveth and its movement taketh away.
1: And you might wonder, how often do we really pump water over mountains? And it turns out, we do this a lot. Much of the water consumed in Southern California, we're looking at ULA and San Diego, has to get pumped 2,000 feet up and over the Tehachapi Mountains.
0: That's a big range that sort of delineates where Southern California stops and people with pimples and bald spots begins. It takes about twice the power gained from the hydroelectric benefits of California State Water Project to do that, and it comes up to a huge net loss. It costs about $300 million and accounts for around 3% of all the electricity used in the state. What? Say that again? 3% of all of the electricity used in the entire state of California is used to pump water over a mountain range into Southern California.
1: That is just insane.
0: I know, right? But it's not just moving that water around, because what happens to the water when it gets to your house?
1: A lot of things. I use it to wash dishes and shower do a little bit of laundry and cook and drink
0: and use the bathroom a lot of using the bathroom so keep in mind that once a drop of water enters your house it can get pretty dirty in a lot of nasty ways
1: what are you saying about me joe is this the part where i can stop being a drop of water
0: no way man in for a penny in for a pound you got you gotta ride through the poop storm here so (laughs) This is good because you don't want to be, no, really, really, you don't want to be a smelly or disease-ridden drop of water. But treating all that wastewater and cleaning you up again takes a lot of pumping and aeration, which again costs energy. In fact, in addition to the cost of transporting the water, wastewater treatment plants use about another 3% of our nation's electricity. So you can see that from top to bottom, our water system is intimately connected with the power grid. And most of it is drawing energy. The collection, distribution, and treatment of water are all big power hogs.
1: But here's the interesting thing. The reverse is also true. Our energy production can be quite water-intensive. Power plants withdraw 195 million gallons of water every day. That's actually more water than we use for irrigation. So take that, lawn sprinklers.
0: Yeah, now you know, all those politicians standing on those brown lawns, you know, should be listening to our podcast, I guess. But really, most of this water that's used in this system is mainly for generating steam, to turn turbines and into heat exchangers. So a large proportion of that is returned back to the environment. And the environmental impact of this use is comparatively less than some other kinds of uses, like, say, flushing the toilet. But When you're talking about such huge volumes, even a small percentage of boil off and leakage can add up to a lot of use.
1: Yeah, and obviously there are environmental impacts associated with pumping this much water in and out of natural systems.
0: Exactly, so thermal pollution, removal of dissolved minerals, changes in pH and hydrology, land inundation, disrupting aquatic habitats, so on and so forth. These are all environmental impacts of using water to generate our electricity. So while we can and should update technology in these power plants to use water more efficiently, another really effective way that everyday folks can address this water usage is simply to use less electricity, which is great because there's already a bunch of reasons that you probably know for saving electricity, and this is just one more of them.
1: So I'm going to be critical for a moment. Does using the less electricity at home as an individual really reduce the amount of water used for energy production And can turning off a light switch really make an impact at the power plant?
0: Right. Yeah. So I think this is a pretty fair question. And, you know, these things that we're talking about and, you know, these little energy savings here and there, do they really have that big of an impact on energy usage on a large scale? So I, uh, I actually kind of cheated cause I thought this was a hard question that you posed to me and I turned around in my desk and asked the scientists sitting behind me at the Berkeley water center about the water energy nexus, which is what they study. And, uh, they said that surprisingly, maybe, actually, yeah, I think that uh, power plants are a little bit more sensitive to these uh, temporal changes in energy usage than we maybe give them credit for, and uh, just changes on the kilowatt level they can adjust to in real time. And It turns out that the peak of electricity uses, when everyone's using a lot of electricity at the same time, are when they tend to use their most water-intensive uh, sources of electricity. So, actually, if we can use uh, electricity more efficiently, especially during these times and shave off those peaks a little bit, it actually can make a pretty significant impact in saving water. So, I do think that you make a really fair point that, like, you know, are we too many steps removed in talking about power generation to be talking about water? Um, and there are certainly people that are studying that question closely, but at least the initial. Uh, findings suggest that, yeah, actually saving electricity, even just on the household scale, can help you to save water.
1: Oh, okay. I'm a little bit blown away by your response, Joe. I didn't know you are going to come up with such a thorough explanation. Uh, I thought this was a really good question that I was going to be able to stump you with for a little bit, but uh, I guess not. Yeah, to- <laughs> I, I did
0: think it was a, it was a, it was a good stumper too. It stumped me. So,
1: so I'll have to try yeah. harder next time.
0: Yeah. So, you know, while we can quibble over, you know, how much it costs to move one electron during peak hours and things like this, I think that one part of the nexus that we can definitely agree on is that water is also used to produce other kinds of energy besides electricity. So, for instance, depending on who you ask, it takes 10 to
1: 100 gallons of water to extract, refine, and deliver just one gallon of gasoline. In addition to water quantity, water quality is a huge issue in this arena, too. You've probably heard a lot about the polluted water that comes from fracking, for instance.
0: Right. So when you pump millions of gallons of water down into a well in this toxic chemical cocktail, there are obviously real risks. And while no one has shown health impacts directly related to fracking, there have been a few high-profile incidences of frack water contaminating water supplies. And so I think that's definitely a major way that our energy impacts our water supply.
1: Plus, there's all that energy that's used to make hot water for showers and clothes washing and things like that. Running a hot water faucet for five minutes consumes the same amount of energy as burning a normal light bulb for 14 hours. We just don't notice this because the energy usage is so indirect. Right. So,
0: I think the water-energy nexus is experiencing a recent boom in awareness. Maybe it's because right now water and energy are both getting a lot of press. But whatever the reason, it's kind of nice for us water engineers, right? Because water is cheap and energy is big business. So it adds a little monetary value to our work, you know, I must say. But whatever the cause, I think that in the environmental engineering community, we're sort of reaching this tipping point where this really enters public awareness. And for a while, we've seen scientists and engineers study this stuff. But now we're really starting to see, you know, whole university courses taught on it. And
1: I've heard it mentioned on the radio a few times and things like that. It's also becoming such a buzzword that it's inducing a bit of eye-rolling. Like the word sustainability, circa 2004. Oof, a a subtle shot there, I think, at the guy who's making a whole podcast episode about the
0: water-energy nexus. But I I think it's a fair point that this does have a little bit of the, the sexy buzz vibe around it. I do think it's worth discussing in this forum because, interestingly, I think this is not a connection that many folks outside of the engineering world are really aware of.
1: Yeah, but maybe it's that the word nexus sounds too technical? Uh, But I think it's a pretty accessible concept that the average casually environmentally concerned person might find useful.
0: It's certainly another reason to feel good about saving water and saving energy. Or at least another reason for your obnoxious co-worker to brag about buying that new Energy Star washing machine.
1: Uh, And that's true. And that's all true. But it's not as bad as the organic food junkie. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, But that's all right, because next time we'll be talking about the role food plays in all of this.
0: Let us know what you thought about today's episode on Twitter, at Water Podcast, or Facebook, or email us at Podcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by me, Joe Charbonnet, with help from Skylar Herzog, Zach Stoll, and Scott Miller, and with special guest narrator Bruce Lee, in association with RenewIt, the NSF's research center on reinventing the nation's urban water infrastructure. Check them out on RenewIt.org. This is What Are You Talking About? Stay wet, everyone.